Well, John, welcome back to another working session, man. Really good to see your face. Excited to hear some of the updates on Editor Ninja because I know we just hit a really big milestone. So I got the spoiler from Twitter. We'll save that for the back half of the conversation. But speaking of Twitter, it's kind of a mess right now, right? And uh, I don't want to be like every other podcast out there and just jump in and you know share our two cents on what Elon's doing and, and what's happening over there. Really what I want to focus on and what it's had me thinking about over the last week or so is platform risk or, or maybe channel risk, right? And all these people who have literally built their business on top of Twitter as a platform and may have that rug pulled out from under them without any you know control over whether or not that happens or the impact to their business. So my heart goes out to all of them. But at the end of the day, like there are a bunch of different ways to fall victim to platform risk. And so I thought it might be interesting for us to talk today about how we think about that and uh, what we might be doing for our businesses to kind of protect ourselves or hedge against it. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you again, James. It's you know, I think it's only been a week. Did we record last week? I, th- I think maybe yeah. it's been two weeks. But we, uh, yeah, it's always good to hop on the mic and kind of talk through updates. And I'm just back from five days at Disney, so that was fun with my daughter. And yeah, yeah, hit a big milestone that we can get into. So feeling very optimistic about things. We just got our first real snow in Denver. So there's about six inches of snow out front waiting for me to shovel, but I'm putting that off. But I'm heading heading to the mountains this weekend and getting on snow tomorrow. My three and a half year old is stoked about it. So she keeps being like, are we going skiing tomorrow? We We going skiing tomorrow? So what more could a dad ask for, you know? But yeah, man, the Twitter thing is, is nuts. I actually tweeted last night, six word tweet, literally owe my career to Twitter. Like I was thinking about Mm -hmm. it, that Twitter is how I, when I first started off in digital, digital marketing, it's how I got connected with the Moz and the distilled crew. It's how I got the job there in New York city. It's how the guy who hired me into Zillow found me. I've made some of my best friends in this world. I I met them on Twitter first, uh, Tom Critchlow, Michael King, people like that. It's how I got a credo off the ground. It's where the first editor Ninja customers came from. And it's how the day after I got laid off from Zillow, I put out a tweet and within two days had to stop taking consulting, had to stop taking interest calls because I had so many people wanting to work with me. So like Twitter literally let me get off the ground as an entrepreneur. So like, I love the platform, you know, love the community at the same time. I think you're absolutely right there is yeah it's a risk if you go all in you know on one platform and you know i think the problem with a lot of these kind of digital platforms is you know twitter even facebook i mean you've seen it with facebook as well facebook groups used to be able to reach everyone and now you reach like two percent of the people in your group right your free group and there's no way to like reach more in that in that group like you know there just isn't so like you know people move to something else and uh, i think platforms like this are great for acquiring you acquiring that's a horrible word to use there for meeting new people right for gaining an audience for engaging with others and really like putting your thoughts out there but these platforms come and go and we've seen it for forever and we'll see it for forever right myspace and friendster and i mean facebook in in a lot of ways you know so twitter goes the way of the dodo like kind of is what it is and something else is going to take it i don't know if it's gonna be mastodon or blue sky social or whatever right reddit i'm spending a lot more time on reddit personally but you know, I also think this is why we need to own our own platforms, right? I mean, you've got productize and scale, you've got Castaway, you've got the the Slack group. You know, I'm in you know a ton of Slack groups. I honestly, over the last six eight months, have been 
more effective for Editor Ninja just for meeting people and and all of that. I recruit editors from there. I get customers from there. Way more effective for me. I've been saying for a long time that communities like that are they're, they're the new blog and maybe they're the new Twitter. I don't know, but I think we need to kind of build you know our own our own systems like that. So and hey man. If blogging comes back, I'm going to be stoked. I like blogging <laughs> personally, but maybe we go to like YouTube shorts and maybe like Instagram becomes more of like a thing for business. I don't know. But like, I, I do think that like a very text heavy site, like Twitter, we're like Elon assigned and I could not give a shit. I could not give less of a shit about Elon. Honestly, like I think, yeah, I, I just think very little of them, especially now personally, that's my own opinion. But I think text heavy platforms like Facebook, like Twitter, et cetera, I have always kind of had an expiration date. And so I think we're moving to a lot more visual content. So I think the more we can get comfortable with visual content with, you know, Instagram stories with YouTube shorts, I want to talk about that, right? I've been thinking about doing more there, like, you know, repurposing stuff, just like, you know, you do with Castaway with podcasts and such. Like, I think that those sorts of things are super, super powerful right now. So maybe the better way to go. Yeah, yeah, I echo a lot of that sentiment. I mean, Twitter, I would probably put it number two in terms of impact to my professional career had a lot of really great connections there. The only thing that really jumps up there to that number one spot is those Slack communities, those private communities that are managed by a moderator and a curator. I've made so many connections through DMs in there and landed jobs and clients and all kinds of things. So I put that into the number one slot, but it's closer than you might think. I think really what I wanted to share with the audience today, I guess, is like more like channel risk, right? So if you have a service business like we do and you have a single channel where leads come in from, whether that's referrals or word of mouth or Twitter or organic search, like anytime you just have one, you're putting yourself at unnecessary risk. There's a certain level of diversification that has to happen there. And sure, if there's a chapter early in your life where you're like, hey, I only have time or resources for one, so I'm gonna make this bet on organic because it takes the longest to manifest, or I'm gonna make this bet on paid ads because they have the quickest path to ROI, that's fine, and that's an assumed risk, right? But over the long term, being too heavily weighted in any single channel feels like kind of a fool's errand. And so I think really the, the main message I wanted to communicate today was like, if you only have one or if Twitter was your one main lead acquisition channel, consider this a wake up call, right? And, and learn that hard lesson, find a couple other ones, experiment with them. You've listed a couple here, John, that are great ideas. But the, I think that the lesson I would take as a business owner who is heavily reliant on Twitter with everything going on is man, I need to find two or three other channels and diversify my efforts and uh, across those so that I have a healthier pipeline. And you know, the person in control of my destiny for the most part is me. And the other point to that is, once you're testing those two channels, find a way to move them from a rented platform like Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok to an owned platform like your, your email list or something like that, mm -hmm. or your private Slack community, something that you have more significant ownership over. So you don't lose them if that other platform goes under or makes a significant change to their algorithm or whatever. I don't know. That's the core message for me is like, if you're affected, I'm terribly sorry. And hopefully this is a wake up call. If you're not affected, learn from the people who are suffering and you know be proactive about planting those seeds now because they do take time, especially if you're talking about organic search or something like that, or even cold outreach or whatever. It takes time for that flywheel to get spinning. So the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next best time is today, right? That's that's my tip to the audience, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think there's like, I also want to kind of break down the difference between like a channel, like cold outreach, SEO, that kind of thing, and a platform like Twitter and like that sort of stuff. Like I, I see them a little bit, you know, differently. I also think that this is the part of building a company, an early stage company that is so tough because like if you're all in on Twitter, right. And then stuff happens. And I mean, and also to be fair, like 
we haven't seen Twitter go away yet. There is fear that right. Twitter will go away, right? So a lot of it is just like FUD. But I also think that this is, I mean, why early stage companies can be so like fragile, right? I mean, I was writing an update. Yes, I'll just start go ahead and start into my update on, on Editor Ninja because it's, it's a good segue. But I was writing an update yesterday because we just hit a million words edited this year. It was my 2022 goal. We hit it six weeks early. And I was I was writing an update about it and was realizing that in so and, and I talked about this back in June, July, that we had, you know, an agency that was putting a lot of content through us, hundred, hundred twenty thousand words a month. And in June, basically with no warning, they canceled. And I'm like, what happened? So we went from sixty five hundred in revenue in June to twenty four hundred in July, right? So like that customer risk right there, right? Like this is the thing about these early stage companies is that like, if you're not diversified, then you just need to recognize that there is more risk there about, uh, you know, like you're heavily dependent on one customer, it's 50% of your revenue and they leave. Well, guess what? You're 50% less revenue. You're heavily dependent on one partner and they screw you over. I have an agency at, at Credo that he got on years ago because he was building a white label SEO agency and his partner decided to take it all in house. And he literally lost $100,000 a month in revenue overnight like had to lay off, you know, three quarters of his team, that sort of thing, because he was so dependent on that one channel, like, don't go all in on one channel, there are channels that are going to perform better for you. But like, you know, at Editor Ninja at Credo, like, SEO is a, is a main channel for us, referrals is a main channel for us, you know, we do Facebook retargeting, Facebook and Instagram aren't really like a top end like acquisition channel for us. But like, we do retargeting there, right? We have a presence on LinkedIn, like we have a presence on all these places, because those are, I see those as being platforms, the the social ones, but then also the, you know, the channels are, you know, th those are the ones that like you really invest like time and effort into and like, SEO isn't going away. Yes, you can screw things up. And like your, you know, your traffic takes a dive. And so you lose less traffic. But like, you're also kind of in control of that. It's very different from like a platform changing their algorithm. I mean, obviously, Google changes their algorithms, but like a platform changing their algorithm like Twitter and all of, or Facebook and all of a sudden you go from reaching everyone to reaching 2% of the people that you've spent years, you know, building in your group. So that that's kind of my whole thinking around these things around these businesses is like, yes, there is risk there. At the same time, you know, people talk about taking the leap in entrepreneurship, like I, I or, you know, going full time on their company and like puts them under a ton of stress and all that. Like, I don't know. I, I think you're very similar to me. I, I would actually, I know you're similar to me in that like, I'm pretty risk adverse. And like, I'm not going full time on a business unless like, you know, something has happened that I'm able to right? or the revenue is there that's able to pay me full time or, you know, I have cash in the bank that I don't need to be paid for a while, like that kind of thing. Obviously, you can't do that forever. But like, you know, there, there's less risk if you have real revenue and real customers and you know how you grow the business and all of that, right? So you can never completely mitigate risk but we can, you can never completely eliminate risk, but you can mitigate it to a point. And there's always going to be some, and these things are always going to happen, right? And we just adjust and, you know, reset our sites and keep moving. You know, that's kind of all we can do. Yeah, it's it's hard for business owners out there because they're hearing these conflicting messages. There's like, I believe it's Alex Hermosi who we talk about a lot that says like, pick one product or one offer, one channel until you hit $1 million. And don't add, yeah. don't deviate from that until you get to that milestone. Maybe I'm misappropriating that quote, but that's how it sticks in my mind. One one offer, one channel, $1 million. Don't do anything different until you get there. And then on the other yeah. side of the spectrum, you've got like Gary Vaynerchuk or Grant Cardone, or, and they're saying, be everywhere, be on every platform because awareness is the only way that somebody can buy from you. And awareness happens by this like 10x volume of output across all these different channels and meet them where they're at and all that kind of stuff. So on the spectrum, you've got these two differing opinions and you know, well-meaning business owners like, what do I do? You know, I think the right answer, especially in the early days, is 
somewhere in between. And it's like, you can't be on just one channel or, or rely on just one client to pay your bills for too long because that puts you at unnecessary yeah. risk. You also can't divide your attention, your energy, your resources, your finances across 12 different channels because that puts you at a different kind of risk, right? So I think you got to pick like one to three is probably the sweet spot. And one of those should probably be something you already really know well or something that comes natural to you. Maybe that's writing. Maybe that's being on the video camera. Maybe that's being behind the microphone. Maybe that's cold outreach. Maybe it's cold calling because you were a salesperson in a past life. You should have one that is kind of firmly in your wheelhouse and then two other ones, one or two other ones that are like more experimental. And I think that's a healthy level of diversification so that if one thing falls out from under you, you still have these other things that were already working in the background and you're not, you know, starting from a cold stop. So I don't know. I mean, that's the way I think about it. And I think it's a nice blend of like, diversification, but also not totally unfocused or totally distributed. And I think that goes for a lot of things. Like you said, there's the channel, which is more like cold email outreach versus content marketing versus podcasting or, you know, videos or referrals or whatever. That's more the channel. It goes for platforms like you're only on Twitter versus spreading it across TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, whatever else. And it goes for clients. You don't want one whale client, uh, but you also don't want 15 small clients, because then you're going to, you know, burn out just trying to manage all those relationships and juggle those timelines and all that kind of thing. So I think there's a healthy right. balance and it probably fits inside your hand, right? It's five or less, I would think. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard the one channel, one offer, $1 million thing many times. I've heard it from Alex. I've heard it from Dan Martell. I've heard it from a lot of people. Interestingly, Chris Lemma has never said that to me. Some of it's just like the the risk the risk profile, right? Like those, those mm -hmm. first two guys have a higher risk profile than I or Chris does or you do. And also when I, when I think about it and I look at like each of their individual situations, which is what I've started doing with kind of statements like that is like, you know, I look at Alex and like he was an advertising guy, right? And so like he also failed some companies and lost a ton of money and kind of like had to go all in had a hundred thousand limit on a credit dollar limit on a credit card and kind of found magic right like like found a like rub the genie bottle and th you know there was there was a genie in there sort of thing right like he's a smart guy he got lucky though like he got lucky that this that this thing really worked right i mean he talks about that about how you know he like decided he didn't want to do these these gym turnarounds and sold someone like told someone he would teach them how to do it because the guy really needed it and quoted him a price and the guy did it and he sold three more that day and he was like holy shit this is gonna work right but like that's a high risk profile and obviously like the payoff has been big you know for for him and payoff's been big for dan with these things that they've done but like you know alex's thing is like you know he was an advertising guy figured out these channels that worked and could replicate it and you know and really scale it like that's a cash machine if you can turn that on seo and content which is my like main channel and referral, like those take longer to build. Those flywheels take longer to build. They take years to build, you know? And like we rank pretty well. We rank first page for pretty much all of our main keywords at Editor Ninja and they drive us some, you know, inquiries and demos and like that sort of stuff. But like, I'm not really going to start seeing that until, you know, we got to keep, keep pushing on content and until we get into like the top three listings in Google we're not really going to see substantive traffic and leads, et cetera, from that. Right. And so it's going to take me a couple of years of working on it to actually get there. So part of this too, with like one channel, one offer, $1 million is like, how long do you have, you know, and like yeah. do the channels that, you know, are those going to let you get there? So anyways, you know, and I'm, I'm just more of like a holistic marketing guy. So like, I think about, okay, we need to be doing some basic, like Facebook retargeting. We need to be doing some Google ads, at least like branded stuff, you know, that sort of thing. But once again, it's all kind of risk, right? It's, it's, it's your risk profile. It's how long you have, like all of these metrics, all these things come into play. And, you know, we also have to look at like what perspective are the people that 
are giving us advice are what perspective are they coming from? What's their experience that they're coming from? And see if that also applies to us, right? And so there's some things that are apply and some that aren't, right? Anyone listening to this, they should take that into account as well, right? Yeah. Like I talk about things that I'm doing and stuff that I'm prioritizing, but like I've been self-employed for seven plus years, right? Like I've built multiple six-figure businesses at this point. I haven't built a seven-figure business yet. So like if I'm talking about building a seven-figure business, some of this is like, I don't know, right? Maybe I should listen to Alex more. Maybe I should listen to Dan more. I don't know, but like, because I haven't done that yet. But, you know, but I do know how to build six figure businesses, you know, and I know how to market, I know how to get customers, I know how to sell. So, like, you know, listen to me for that. Some of these other things, maybe take it with a grain of salt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, I always say, like, the people who tell you money isn't important are usually people who already have a lot of it and have already figured it out, right? Um, exactly. That's not, that's not always the case. They either have none of it or they have a lot of it. There's usually not somebody who's, like, in that messy middle saying money's not important. They're usually trying to get it to unlock other things. That, so that's true of a lot of yeah. advice that you get is just just be mindful of where it's coming from. And that's uh, present company included, right? Anything we tell you, yep. just take the background that we've given you about ourselves and some of our proclivities and, and filter that advice through those, you know? Cool. So you hit the million, the million word milestone. And uh, I don't think you jumped into any of the other updates. So what else is going on at Editor Ninja? Yeah. So hit the million word uh, milestone. So that means need to kind of set goals for next year. So, I mean, we hit this six weeks early and, you know, I, it's basically been a side project all year. So like I should set my goals higher, right? Maybe it's 4 million or 5 million words edited next year. I think we could, we could hit that. You know, I kind of pulled the numbers and we are about 30 some percent of the way, you know, monthly average words edited to where we need to be to hit that to where our average needs to be next year, right? So obviously, we'll start on the low end. So we started like, so I need to be at like 300 and 330,000, something like that to get 4 million words edited, like average that per month. But if we start at 200, I basically need to end the year at like 500, 600, right? Mm-hmm. So like, a lot of work to do. But I, I think we can do it. So and, and it's about time to I was just realizing about time to kind of get into some like, annual and quarterly planning, which will be interesting doing it basically solo, right? At Credo, there's the team and we kind of work together on what we're planning and, and going to do and execute on and different people own different things. For me, for Editor Ninja, it's me. I, I'll probably pull Sophia in, into it as well, you know, because she's been with me doing it at Credo for year plus now. So, you know, she'll be, she'll be helpful with that and, and can really help kind of keep me on track there. She's much more on the ops side. So, but uh, yeah, kind of just some, some quick things that have gotten done recently. I rolled out yesterday, two days ago, Wednesday night, rolled out a new homepage. Finally, there's a few things left to clean up, but it finally rolled out a new homepage, adjusted messaging, you know, not just leaning into line editing and, and proofreading, but really leaning into content editing and just showing people that like, Hey, there are a bunch of different things that you can get done here, right? We can do the copy editing and proofreading. And that's like kind of the bulk of what we've done this year, but like you need stuff formatted for SEO. You need it. You need content updated for SEO. You're producing content overseas and you need a native speaker to edit it, to make it read as if it was written, you know, in the country where you're publishing it. Like we can do that. I've got a US ESL editor and I've got an um, Australian ESL editor who can also do the UK stuff. So like, you know, you can lean on us for that. So really trying to like expand into the like, we're a platform that we have a network of editors that we can do all of these things for you, right? So I'm excited to see kind of how that does. I mean, it's been out for 36 hours now. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's way too early. I rolled out the the new conversion path as well, which I was talking about last time. So way too early to have any data on that, but had some great demos recently, ha- signed a couple new customers, haven't had any customer churn, you know, just really leaning into like, just trying to get really close to our customers. So I think having them on Slack has been big, you know, kind of keeps them engaged. They see us. I think this is interesting, James. I think actually like probably about half of them message me on Slack, like 
fairly regularly and then the other half don't but i've also noticed that like having them in slack they see me more often and see i'm from editor ninja and so we stay top of mind more and they submit more content which keeps them around longer which increases lifetime value which increases all of that you know so that's that's actually been pretty cool and then and then another cool thing that i've been doing i think i've talked about this in the past but you know i'm a halfway decent wordpress developer but there's thing but it takes me a while to do a bunch of these things and so i've been really just kind of playing the game of like what is my time worth? And so I've been working with some WordPress developers through Codable, codable.io. It's just a marketplace for finding WordPress developers. And so I've been working with a few developers through there to do some stuff. Like there's one feature, basically like I stopped letting people just check out for single documents. They need to request a quote because I had I had a couple people basically say it was like a thousand word document. It was actually a 5,000 word document, but they only paid for a thousand words. And so like mm-hmm. one of them had to refund, the other one had to like charge more money and it was just like kind of bad. So basically I worked it out so like they can submit their document, but then the charge is authorized, but it's not actually captured until I review it and make sure it's for the right amount. But I needed to build that in to the system. And so paid a guy a couple hundred bucks to do it. It literally took him like 45 minutes. It works great, but it'd been on my to-do list for like six weeks, right? So um, I just, I'm, I'm just really trying to lean into that, like delegate and like hire great people, not in like an ongoing way other than editors, of course, but like kind of, you know, uh, code things and design things and that sort of stuff, like kind of doing very like focused tasks and projects so I can very much like control costs. And then of course, over time that'll build, I'll probably end up with a full-time developer and a full-time designer and full-time ops person and all of that eventually. But like right now, revenue just doesn't merit it. So we'll, uh, you know, I'll keep kind of piecemealing it together. So that's been working out really well. So anyone that's building on WordPress, Codable is great. I've, I've used them for a long time, been super happy with them. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what's going on. Like, you know, the day to day feeling really optimistic about stuff. My one discussion point, kind of what we were talking about earlier is what's your take James on YouTube shorts? This is something they rolled out. It's basically stories on YouTube. I've been seeing a bunch of people posting there and just getting like like it's still super early days, I think. It's an early like feature and people are getting like hundreds of thousands of views on these like, you know, short videos because it's right there on YouTube. So like, and they're, they're pushing it really hard because they want more people to do it, right? Because they're trying to go at Instagram and, and Instagram stories and that stuff. But like, what's your what's your take on, on YouTube shorts? And is it something, I think it's something I'm going to play around with because I like being on video and I like kind of doing talking head stuff I've done on Instagram for a long time. So I think it could be a cool like channel for us, but have you messed around with it at all or know anyone doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously through Castaway, know a few folks doing it and I've been observing a few folks who are not Castaway clients experiment over there. To be honest, admittedly, I don't know the the most current for, for a while there, they were treating dedicated channels just for YouTube shorts differently than channels that added YouTube shorts to their existing channel alongside the long form videos. So I don't think that's the case anymore. I think those are being presented in the feed with equal weighting, but obviously look into the YouTube documentation to to validate that. But that's my understanding. I did notice that on channels, they have a tab now specifically for shorts, whereas usually you used to have to make a playlist and you would have a playlist Hmm. for um, your long form videos. And of course you could create topical playlists or something like that. But shorts only existed as a playlist in that feed. Now, if you look directly under the hero section and the profile picture, you'll see there's a tab. So there's like home, Um. about videos and now some channels have a shorts tab specifically for that. So, you know, they're, they're experimenting there. I will say I think of this more less in terms of YouTube shorts specifically and more in terms of just like vertical video. 
in general and short form mm-hmm. video in general. And yeah. I think the 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 wave, the tide is all behind short form video right now. It's getting a lot of love in the various algorithms. It's getting a lot of love from consumers, obviously, because it's short and bite-sized. What I love about vertical video is uh, it's kind of that, if you think about it in terms of content marketing, it is that top of funnel content. It is that little sample that little taste that you would get at the confectionery to decide which chocolate you actually want to buy for your wife, right? Do I want the one with the caramel in it? Do I want the one with the marshmallow fluff in it? Do I want the one with the raspberry or whatever in it? Just try all three, just a little bite and see what you like and then self-guide into you know what you want more of. I love that as top of funnel content, especially for service mm-hmm. businesses where the relationship and, and who you're working with is so critically important. I mean, it's one thing to show a physical product. And I think you know, product reviews or unboxing videos and stuff are doing really well with vertical video. But in a service-based business, I think getting the founder on there, getting the team members on there, getting kind of a video testimonial from a current client on there is really strong messaging that differentiates you from all the other service businesses that are relying on text posts, display ads, and things like that. I mean, ultimately, we've been telling stories since humans were around and the most powerful communication channel is face-to-face. The next best thing is video because you can still see the face. The next best thing is audio because you can hear the voice and text is way at the end. But most people start with text and do most of their stuff with text because the barrier to entry is so much lower, right? Right. So if you're comfortable behind the microphone, if you're comfortable on camera, if you feel like you have a, a message to share, I think it's a really smart play and it's surprisingly affordable with all the tools and everything popping up right now. So I think that's a yeah. great move for you and an editor ninja, especially because don't take this the wrong way, but editing is not the sexiest service out there. And so I think a lot of your yeah. competitors are just going to totally ignore this. No, I, I think so. I think so. And, and I think in my space, like, I mean, I've talked about this openly, like a lot of my competitors are super boring. They're old. They're very like stodgy, cold, like B2B. We do editing services sort of stuff. Like, I want to build a cool, like personality driven, like a strong brand is what I want to build. And so like, I think this could be a good way, you know, to do it. You know, it's interesting, obviously, like, you know, Alex, uh, you know, Hermosi is kind of like, you know, the the goat at this point, but, like, <laughs> I look, I'm looking at his, uh, you know, Instagram channel. And yeah, he's got half a million like subscribers. But like, you know, I look at, you know, Martel's and he's got 60, 90,000, 90, you know, but his shorts are getting like, thousand plus views, you know, most of them, uh, most popular one has like 11,000, like, that's big, you know, for, I mean, a small company like us, like if I can get another like 2000 views on my content every single week, like it's going to move the needle, you know? And you're right. I think it's like, it's early, it's low barrier, it's high barrier to entry. So not a lot of people are going to do it. So I'll, all right, fine. I'm committing to it. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to test it out over the next couple of weeks. And obviously like Thanksgiving is coming up, but Thanksgiving can also be great because people are sitting around on their phones, they're bored sitting around with their family, you know? So like, yeah, maybe I'll try to get a couple up over the next like couple of weeks and I'll report back kind of how it's, how it's doing. So if you know, Pat Flynn from smart passive income, I think he's doing, I think he's actively doing a 30 day challenge around this. So maybe uh, you could partake in that. I think he's moving on to TikTok finally, which is, you know, kind of late for him, but he was on a hundred channels already. So it was kind of a heavy lift to add one more, but, but yeah, the, the last thing I'll say about shorts uh, or vertical video in general is like, you might see some content out there that says, if you write your script in a way where it loops, like so that you'll see that people will end these clips with like, and that's why, and then it just picks up right at the beginning because the platform automatically loops these videos sometimes, that's gonna get you more views, but like, what's the quality of those views, right? Like if you have a looping video and somebody watches it three times, that's gonna show up to you as three views, but really it was just one person and they just didn't scroll because they were distracted talking to their kid or talking to their spouse or whatever. So I wouldn't put too much stake in the, looped scripting if you come across that in any of your research. The other thing I'll say is that the 
the lowest performing videos that we're seeing are just straight repurposed. So if we took this podcast conversation, I cut a 60 second clip out of it, I put some captions on it and I throw it up there. Unless it's really compelling, it's probably not going to perform as well as some of these other options. And the other two options I see are the dedicated kind of talking head in one idea communicated quickly through a minute or two. That's what Alex Hermosi's doing. You see him on the couch. He just has one idea he's trying to communicate. And it's created to be native to that platform. So he recorded that 60 second clip intentionally to put it on vertical video versus pulling it from a conference talk or something else that he did. And then the thing that I'm seeing that's performing the best, which should come as no surprise, is like the storytelling angle. And so you'll see a lot of these channels like Our Future that are basically telling the story of the Rothschild family in 60 seconds or less, right? And if they're, if you want more compelling, and so what that is, is, is mostly a voiceover. So the person will do like a 10 second intro. They'll say, hey, have you heard of the Rothschild family, one of the wealthiest families in the history? Let me tell you about how they almost lost it all, right? And that's the hook. And then they go into this B-roll where they show images of the Rothschild family and they have, you know, emoji come in for like sweaty emoji or whatever when they're under stress and that kind of thing. It's very engaging and dynamic, like a long form YouTube video. And it's all this single story. So, you know, I'm not sure how well that fits into Editor Ninja content, but those are the ones that I'm seeing get the most engagement and get the most viral growth, so to speak. And I think it's because there's a storytelling element to it. So if somehow you had like half a dozen stories where an editing mistake cost a business a lot of money, like, hey, can you believe this typo that Apple had in its ad? I mean, I'm sure Apple wouldn't have a typo, but I'm sure some other big brand has or something like that. You could talk about like, the downstream effects of that and why editing is so important, or even, you know, somebody that, I don't know, pushed a social media post or something with an important typo that actually totally changed the meaning of the message and cost them. If you had a collection of those, I'd test those alongside the talking head stuff because it might, it might go well. Yeah. It's a different approach. It's, it's at least like more variety in the content, right? Not just, not just me talking, but actually like, yeah, telling stories about others and bringing it down to earth. And yeah, that's, I like it. I like it. Cool. I'll uh, give it a shot, right? I mean, yeah, as you said earlier, best time to plant a tree is, you know, 10 years ago and the second best time is today. So I'll maybe I'll shoot some today. I actually discovered I got a new tripod or a new like stand for my video camera, for my webcam. And it actually has a thing I can like, I'll, I'll do it right here. You can, you can see it. It like goes vertical or it goes, uh, yeah, it goes vertical like for phones. And then I can basically adjust it like on my, on my screen to make it shoot like that. So it looks like I'm shooting on an iPhone, which is pretty great. Yeah. So yeah, I've got I've got something similar made by Rode here that is like there's a tripod at the bottom, right? And or you can hold it. And then it's got this microphone with the windscreen, which looks kind of crazy. But this little frame here will turn horizontal or vertical. And so you can just kind of carry your phone with you set it up. It's very lightweight vlogging setup, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The switch pod does that, I think. Shout out to Pat. Again, I'm pretty sure you can you can do that. So anyways, enough about me and YouTube shorts, what's going on the castaway or the productize and scale side. What do you, what do you want to talk about? I guess I'm going to have to join the the ranks of John Doherty, who's got multiple businesses he's providing updates on. And you know, at least that's how things started out. So yeah, I, on the castaway side, let's see, looking forward to December since we're, you know, two thirds of the way through November here, MRR will be up 2k. Got a couple of new clients that I've been talking about the last couple of weeks on the starting in December. So that's good. That's going to bring us back up to around that $4,000 MRR mark, which is a great place to be after a little bit of a slower period here. 
And I was just kind of looking at like year to date numbers, uh, your your million word milestone kicked me off as like, hey, how have we done so far, you know? So it looks like if nothing changes, meaning nobody cancels and we also don't close any new business, we'll probably land right around 50 to 55,000 total revenue, which isn't where I wanted to be. But I kind of started my clock in March when we started publishing this show. I was like, eh, I haven't touched Castaway at all, really. And, and I want to work on it more intentionally. So I kind of started my one year, I kind of did a, a rolling 12 months from March to March, which means I'm about nine months through that that year, even though it's not a calendar year. And uh, so that would put us at 50% of revenue target about 75% of the way through the year, which isn't too bad considering, you know, I'm still doing this on the side of my day job. And I've had the productize and scale acquisition kind of be a distraction here for the last 30 days, the good kind. So yeah, I'm not too upset with that. I mean, obviously, I'd like to be on pace. And, and we got three months to get back on course. But but yeah, the, the goal was to do 100,000 in the first 12 months after taking it seriously. So you know, we've made progress, but still some work to be done. And then I'm getting really close to launching on demand services. I talked about this last time we're using a platform to kind of power this checkout system. And it's just taking a little longer than expected, because they support things like cross sales and upsells during the checkout. And they also support subscriptions and an affiliate program. So I'm just trying to make sure not that we have to launch with all this, but if we're going to totally swap out the current checkout system with this platform, I'd rather just do a wholesale swap and and not have to do it incrementally because then things get, they slip through the cracks and whatnot. So hopefully we'll have that pushed out soon. And I think with all the economic volatility, I think on demand will be good because not everybody wants to commit to that $1,500, $2,000 a month subscription service. If they can just convert this one blog post or podcast episode into one blog post, they're more likely to buy that. So I'm excited about that in terms of the impact it might have for the revenue goal. And then on the productize and scale side, I put together some Black Friday offers. I can share those with you privately, John, but I'm not going to share them on the show yet because Black Friday is next week. So I want to see, I'd, I'd rather share how it went and then kind of recap how I structured the offers because it's a little bit different than what has been done in the past, which was more just a straight percentage off the, the course price, which I'm just getting creative. I'm going to have a little bit of a ladder, different price points. And it's like, yeah, you can take that discount, but you could also pay full price and get these bonuses instead. You know, I'm trying a couple of different things just because it's fun to have a business that you can experiment with a little bit. So hopefully yeah. in a couple of weeks, I'll report back on how that went. And then the last update was for productize and scale. I think I have a, a sponsor lined up to bring that podcast back for a 12 episode season. And that's a paid sponsorship. So that's really good. And it's a great, great partner that has great alignment with productized services and will you know, actually be meaningful for our audience versus just taking money from, you know, I don't want to put any particular company on blast, but you've all heard the ads out there, right? There are certain companies that sponsor like every podcast, whether or not it's a, a perfect fit for the subject matter. And this one's not that this is this is one that's very tailored to productized services. So hopefully that comes through once the payments made, I can I'll be happy to share who that is. But yeah, that's the update from my world. I guess I'll pause to let you react to any of that. So I want to talk more about the on-demand services. What's that? What's that looking like? Uh, so that's basically going to be, if you picture like a service catalog, so your initial purchase would look very much the same as what you've got going on on Editor Ninja for kind of like a, a, an individual document kind of thing, right? So mm -hmm. on the main homepage, there's going to be a services dropdown. Actually, it'll probably say like on-demand, and then it'll say subscription, and then you know whatever else other navigation items exist. But the on-demand dropdown will have some terminology similar to podcast to social clips, podcast to social posts, podcast to blog post, you know, that kind of thing, podcast to newsletter. It's going to be very like utility focused. So what are you trying to do with your podcast? What do you want to turn it into? Each of those will sell a one-off service for probably like a three-figure price point. And then once mm -hmm. you are a customer with Castaway once, what this platform does is you basically have a user account. 
And when you come back in yeah. to sign into your user account in the left navigation, there's a services item there on the admin dashboard that has a catalog with like eight tiles. And it says all the same thing, podcast to blog posts, podcast to video clips, podcast to social media posts, whatever. So that's where you get kind of that recurring revenue. It's like, yeah, you bought one blog post from me for 250 bucks. But when you come back in to grab that finished product from your admin dashboard, you're going to see this service catalog. And you're going to say, hey, they did a great job with this one. Let me go ahead and just buy six more episodes and, and upload those files here. So I'm hopeful that that will increase customer lifetime value and repeat purchase rate. I like that, man. I mean, that's that's kind of exactly what I'm moving to as well. Like, I, th- I think it's a smart a smart move because it kind of builds out the offer ladder and hits people kind of more where they are. Where like sometimes they do just need a one off thing, right? And like your team has some extra capacity, and so you can kind of fill it in. Like, I mean, single documents have been great for us at Editor Ninja because there are people that they're like either they want to test it out, right? And so they're like, like I've had a bunch of people recently. They're like, I just want to do a couple of documents, but like we do have enough to do the subscription. And I think that would make a ton of sense for us, but I want to test it out first. Right. And so I toss them the, you know, the friend link, give them 15% off and they, they do it and they get it back and they see what we can do. They do a couple of them and then they sign on and they keep on. So, but I'm also doing the, I like the login and like, here's kind of the menu of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you could do, cause you know, if it costs enough, right. They're, they're paying, they get a blog post done and they get a short put a YouTube short put together or an Instagram story or whatever. Those are probably, I don't know if those are the same, like, like resolution or the same like sizes, but like pretty close probably. But like, you know, they end up paying 700 bucks to get this like episode, like done with these three things. It's like, well, but for, but you're putting out episodes every week for double that you can get all of this and more like, you know, for every single episode, right? For for just, right. you know, double. So like, you know, it's going to cost you 15. So there, there's some cool like pricing things that you could do there and then like smart upsells and that sort of stuff. But actually for me, I'm going to be with the the credit card thing, the like authorized to charge, but don't actually capture it. I'm doing that so that it's easier for people to submit a one-off, one-off document, right? And it's also easier to kind of like admin, but everyone's going to have a login as well. So like, we're going to have like a free tier. I haven't talked about this publicly yet. So here you go. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll be live because it's going to be live in the next few weeks. They'll have a login. So, you know, you want to get a single document done. And so it's like submit, create an account, right? You need to create an account before it's submitted. And then, you know, and then we like authorize it. But then we're also capturing their payment information and, and all of that. And then it's really easy for them to submit like one-off documents. And then I can do like upsells and have like kind of the menu in there. Honestly, I'll probably have the menu in there. And then once it's like, you know, once they move over to a subscription, then they get to the subscription dashboard and they can just request any of these things, right? For the, just the one, you know, one price. But I, I think that's, I think that's smart, you know, cause then you kind of, you, yeah, you capture all that information and they're a little bit more bought in cause they actually like, what's your username, right? What username do you want? They got to pick that. Right. What's your password, right? And like just that right there, psychologically gets them a bit more bought in, right? And it makes it, it makes it stickier for you. So, and then there's yeah. all sorts of marketing automation stuff you can do. And like, just, I don't know, man, I, I don't see a downside to it, honestly. I don't think it's going to kill subscriptions simply because I haven't seen it kill subscriptions simply because there are people that just aren't ready for that. And so like money's green, right? And like I can serve yeah. them. And then once they kind of scaled up their output, then the subscription makes sense and they'll hop onto that because they've already seen what we've done. Right. So it's just like making it easier for them to say yes. So I think that's yeah. cool, man. I'm yeah. excited. Is this on you use SPP, right? SPP.co. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. Right now, the site is direct purchase straight through Stripe because it's just, I mean, we'll have two products. I have two subscription tiers. So it's just, it, it was the simplicity didn't necessitate anything like this. But SPP is going to be mm-hmm. the, the one that powers the catalog. 
and they do have a Zapier integration. So I'm optimistic that to your point about marketing automations, if I can somehow track customer lifetime value, number of purchases, total revenue spent with Castaway, that kind of thing, you can do some dynamic segmenting with our email marketing platform that says like, hey, you've spent over $2,000 with us, right? Or you've spent $5,000 with us on these ad hoc services. Did you know that you could probably save money by going on subscription or something like that? Or pitch them on the affiliate program. Like you've used us quite a bit and I'm guessing you're pretty happy with the results. If you know any friends who would also use this, you can get paid to refer them to send them our way. Something like that might work. You pair that with a an onboarding survey for all new customers that's basically like, how often do you publish your show? Is your show ongoing or is it is it seasonal? You know, that kind of thing. Once you have that data, then you start to kind of build a profile of what an ideal upsell customer looks like. And it's like, okay, well, they publish weekly. They are open-ended, so they're always publishing. They never cut things off. You know, all these things make them a better fit for a subscription. And by the way, they've spent more than 5K with us on one-off on-demand services. Like, now is the time to tell them they can save money or at least like, get rid of that need to constantly be placing orders and just put this stuff on autopilot and and offer them a pretty sweet Mm -hmm. deal. So I'm excited about that. I think that's like, we're talking several weeks to a couple of months to make something like that happen. Step one is to get that catalog out there and see what the take rate is on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it'll take a few months to like, you know, really like start messaging it and start getting people, you know, buying it and kind of learn what it means. And then you can kind of optimize from there. But step one is launch. So that's awesome, man. Nice work pushing that forward. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Maybe we'll wrap it up there. And I know we've got the Thanksgiving holiday coming up next week. So we'll have to talk about if we want to record around that or just take a week off. But you know, John, if I don't talk to you sooner, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Hope you enjoy all the holidays. I hope you get some time out there on the mountain as soon as possible, because I know everybody's chomping at the bit to get the skis out and start treading. Yep. I'm ready, man. I'll be on the snow tomorrow and we're going to go up after Thanksgiving for the weekend. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready, man. It's it's ski season. Let's go. All right. All right. We'll talk to you next time, John. Take care. All right. Appreciate it. See ya.